This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. In the new TV series, The Big Door Prize, a small town is forever changed when a mysterious machine pops up in the local general store. Each person who gets in the machine receives a card that reveals their life's potential. Their true potential doesn't always land as good news, but it often leads these characters to radically change the direction of their lives, sometimes in surprising ways. I'm Glenn Weldon. And I'm Stephen Thompson. On this episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about the Apple TV Plus series, The Big Door Prize. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Noom. Noom understands that not everyone is starting from the same place and takes that into account. With their first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, you can find a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Noom. Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, helps you build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. Check out the Noom Kitchen for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. Joining us today is our fellow Pop Culture Happy Hour host, Aisha Harris. Hey, Aisha. Hey, my uh, true potential is happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I appreciate that. So the Big Door Prize is set in the fictional small town of Deerfield, whose residents include a hangdog teacher played by Chris O'Dowd, his wife played by Gabrielle Dennis, and their teenage daughter played by Juliet Amara. Along the way, the show delves deeper into their lives and stories, but also those of other townspeople. We meet a teenager and his dad, both of whom are reeling from a recent tragedy, a priest and a mysterious bartender who share an unlikely bond, the narcissistic mayor, and a restaurant owner who's still trying to relive his past glories from when he was a high school athlete. But these aren't just quirky small-town archetypes, and their stories are given a surprising amount of weight. All of them have their lives changed as they discover what the morpho machine says is their true potential. Some receive a card from the machine that reads something like hero or superstar, but one character gets a card that just reads gum. The Big Door Prize was created by showrunner David West Reed, who's best known for his work as a writer and executive producer for Schitt's Creek. It's based on a book of the same name by M.O. Walsh. The Big Door Prize is streaming now on Apple TV+. Glenn Weldon, you were the one who said we should cover this show. What do you think of The Big Door Prize? I really dig it. Uh, yes, I was really enthused on this show. It took me a while, though, because I went into this misled by the premise, which in fairness is giving Twilight Zone. It's giving Tales from the Crypt, Outer Limits, maybe the Stephen King novel uh, Needful Things, maybe a little 
devil and Daniel Webster in there. You know, some tidy morality play, which I hate. So I, was, I thought it was going to be about the rubes in this small town who get tempted by a better life and in the process destroy themselves and their relationship and their community. And uh, because it was the devil all along or whatever. And then Rod Serling <laughs> steps out from behind a shrub and, and his thin lapels and his brill cream and his lit cigarette. And he stares down the barrel of the camera and he says, greed, right? Or <laughs> if only, <laughs> only these simple greedy people didn't dream of something better. How dare they? So I was prepared for these characters to be treated like idiots, to be made fun of. Wasn't looking forward to it, but that's what I thought we were going to get. But I got taken in right away, first by the great and good Chris O'Dowd, who I always loved as an actor, but here he is just doofy, goofy dad. Well, that was really nice. It was really nice. It didn't feel like the entire staff was singing. I understand that, yeah. It feels like this little section here. So quiet. This cute little section avoiding eye contact. Why did you have to come here? Oh, we came for the endless fun and the endless foods. He's just a big ball of charm. And then we started to get to know the townsfolk, as you mentioned, and they are, wait for it, quirky because it is TV and that's the law. But they're not Gilmore Girls quirky, where every episode Kirk steps out from the background and quirks and then steps back. And then Michelle steps out from the background and says something snotty and then steps back. This is a real ensemble, as you mentioned. And right about, well, I won't say which episode, but something happens. There's a wedding. Somebody starts dancing. And it's not about the dancing. It's about how the characters react to it. Everybody who's at the wedding, how they react to it. Uh, Suddenly, that was the moment I was like, I like these people. I want to hang out with these people. And that's when I looked up the creator, showrunner, and and saw that he's from Schitt's Creek. And I was like, oh, there it is. That's why the dialogue is funnier than I was expecting it to be. That's why there's this warmth that doesn't, for me anyway, your mileage may vary, but doesn't spill over into twee for me. There's still an edge there. It's like Mm. season three, Maura Rose, right? Where she's still her, (laughs) but she's starting to like the town more. And I love Crystal Fox as the mayor. She is the stealth MVP of the show. Yeah. Totally dead. Totally in. <laughs> All right. How about you, Aisha? Well, I balk at Glenn's Rod Sterling slander here. <laughs> Look, I, I, I think there's a time and place for that. And I completely agree with uh, Glenn that in this case, I'm glad that it didn't turn out to be like a Twilight Zone episode, even though I love Twilight Zone. The episode it actually reminds me the most of is the Nick of Time episode, which stars William Shatner. And it's about a couple who stop at a cafe while waiting for their car to get fixed. And the William Shatner character becomes a obsessed with a fortune teller machine and he's convinced that it can actually predict the future. And like that is the dark path that a show like this could go down. But what I think makes the big door prize really interesting is the fact that like Glenn said, it doesn't veer into that territory. And it's also not as basic of a premise as you might think it could be on its surface. You know, there's this idea that, especially centering it around Chris O'Dowd's character and the fact that in the first episode he's turning 40, so you got, like, midlife crisis, like, blaring with headlights. This Mm -hmm. is the neon sign as you drive down the street, and that's what you're getting. But the fact that everyone in this town, regardless of how old they are, regardless of who they are, everyone gets, like, sucked into believing or wanting to believe in whatever card they're given... So you get all of these layers. It's not just about a midlife crisis. It's also about teenagers, like, feeling as if, like, their whole, like, potential, it's not just coming from the card. It's also coming from their parents. It's, like, all these expectations of what they should be and who they should be. You've got the mayor character, um, Crystal Fox. She's older, but she's also dealing with all these things. So you get these layers of what it means to be at any given moment of your life and then taking a pause and being, like, is this what I want, and am I working towards what I want to be, or am I already there? So I think that's what makes this such a 
different and really interesting thing to unpack as the characters kind of wrestle with all of these issues. And I really, I enjoyed it. Like, like Glenn, it took me a little while to get into it. And I also was kind of like, where is this town? It's a little, <laughs> little fantasy because it's like you've got lots of very integrated people of all races and ethnicities. And then there's like no real conflict. Like no one's hooked on drugs. There's no, there's no like racism happening. I was just like, this is interesting. But when you think about it in the context of, yes, like a Shit's Creek kind of world, then you can kind of just like ignore all of that. And I, I don't even know if I want that. I like what this show is serving. And I think that if it gets a season two, I will be very curious to see how it continues to unpack Many unanswered questions. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not a contained series. I found myself, no spoilers at all, but I found myself as this season was winding down, just like, how are they going to wrap all this up? Mm. And, and they certainly don't. And I do okay. think it's interesting the way this show is structured. After a few episodes, it kind of steps away from its central premise a little bit. Like everybody has a card and their card plays into their story in a certain way. But after a while, it's just telling you about these characters. And the card is a device to impose on each of these characters a certain crossroads and a certain question about themselves that they're trying to sort out. And what really surprised me about this story is I kind of peeked at the episode titles ahead of time and was like, wow, we're going to get an entire episode about this person? Really? <laughs> and, and I would think, like, I'm not interested in that person. I'm interested in this person. Why are they telling us about the kind of aggro cowboy dad who's mm -hmm. Played really, really nicely by Aaron Roman Weiner, great. who just gives that character so much more depth and desperation and likability than we were expecting. I am always down for Josh Segarra. Whenever yes. Josh Segarra pops yeah. up, he is on the other two. He is on She-Hulk. You always think he's going to be a terrible person. But that guy is so likable and the persona that he brings is so likable that I can't help but wind up rooting for him. I think Josh Segarra is so good in everything yeah. that like when I realized like suddenly we're going to learn more about Giorgio, this weird like kind of washed up high school athlete turned restaurant owner. You think you're going to get one thing and that actor always yeah. brings something else. Speaking of, you two tried this Morpho machine? Oh, my God. Oh, we were just talking about that. You want to know what I got? Superstar. Oh. Is that spooky or what? I was legitimately spooked. I love the way this show takes us on this ride and provides different kind of redemption arcs for different characters, but ultimately comes down on the side of kind of warmth and humanism and kindness in a way that is so my jam. Uh -huh. I didn't think it would be Glenn's jam, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got layers. I got layers. <laughs> I had the same trepidation going into this when you see it's going to be spotlighting various characters because the Josh Cigar, Josh Cigar is always great, more Josh Cigar and everything. But that character, when we meet him, is so broad and mm. His environment, the pasta slash hockey restaurant, is <laughs> it's big. But if you're going to go broad, you want Josh Segarra, the guy in your corner, to go broad. He's terrific. And so is Crystal Fox. And I thought the kids are drawn and performed in a way that isn't every sulky teen on TV. They are distinct mm -hmm. individuals. You want to hang out with them. When's the last time I wanted to hang out with a teenager? Can't remember. Teenager on TV. <laughs> on TV. And again, like Weiner, uh, as Jacob's dad, he is one note funny when we meet him, but that's the structure of the show. We get to sh He gets to show us more. 
her. The only storyline I was like, eh, I could, you know, skippable, I, and I don't know why, was the priest and the bartender. It just didn't grab me. Mm. I probably will other people. That's the beauty of this show. But that, that one just kind of left me hanging. I mean, at, at this point, not all the episodes of Baird we've seen this whole season, but without getting too into the weeds about it, that one felt a little bit less specific uh, yeah. in terms of how those characters are drawn. Maybe that's it. Yeah. And I think that was, for me, it, it stands out when everyone else kind of has a clear sense of where their trajectory is and how they're feeling about who they are. One of the things that I really found funny and interesting about this is the way the town is drawn in part because like they have like four or five central locations that like everyone seems to go to. And mm-hmm. the restaurant Giorgio owns, it's like Rainforest Cafe for Italians, I guess. <laughs> but yep. also a Dave and Buster's somehow. Because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> yep. it's, like, it's got like, it has a literal river inside or like a gondola thing in the restaurant. Like it's mm-hmm. a themed restaurant. I just love the way that like, <laughs> this town is set up in a way that feels very 1950s in a way because it's like other than like the weird theme park restaurant you've got like the general store which is literally it looks like a general store yeah, know, out of, right? <laughs> out of <laughs> like small town U- main street usa it's so interesting to me i don't know how, how you thought about this at all but like it just struck me as very um adding to the sort of potential for tweeness that it lands in the production for me more than it does in the performances. But I I was curious what you all thought about it. I mean, one thing that jumped out at me about that is I grew up in a small town in the 80s and we've all watched Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. And I felt like some of the vibe it's giving is a little bit Stranger Things. Mm, It's a little bit small town in the 80s more than 50s. Even though there's the general store feels 50s, the overall vibe and that kind of synth-driven score Mm -hmm. gave some Stranger Things without the horror elements. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. But I think it's designed to drift across timelines in a way, right? Yeah. The owner of the general store kind of feels removed from time. I mean, you go into the general store and there's like a barista. It's part coffee shop, but you know that somewhere in the back there's hot candies that you can, <laughs> you can pull out of a jar <laughs> and a pickle barrel probably somewhere. <laughs> but what I really ended up loving about the show, and I'm, that's a capital L love, is I like that there is a moral to this story. Right. Mm -hmm. It is a moral tale, but it's not the one you think it is. I mean, technically you could read it as a cautionary tale about giving your life over to technology, even if that technology glows blue and is (laughs) mysterious and possibly supernatural. I think that's a surface reading. I think what it's really saying is a lot more humanist and humane, much more vibes with Schitt's Creek. We are not at our core greedy, grasping, venal, fallen creatures that must be redeemed. Mm -hmm. And here's Rod Serling to tell us how. It's saying that we are curious and adaptable and that we are at our best when we are actively striving for something, not something necessarily something better or something more, but just something, just making an effort, risking something. I am here for that message. I love that message. Yeah, I I agree completely. I'm completely with you. I mean, it ultimately comes down on the side of humanity, which is, I think, really key. If I'm going to enjoy something, it has to fundamentally like its characters in some way or root for somebody in some way. And this show kind of roots for everybody. I do have two kind of big final questions that I want to throw to the panel. One, among other things, this machine expects people to type in their social security (laughs) number and give their fingerprints. Is there any universe, any narrative universe in which you would do that? And two, what do you think your card would say? Ah. <laughs> out. I'd be out. I'd be I'd be bolting for the door. Are you kidding me? 
This is the thing where the mystical, semi-twee kind of supernatural element of this show kind of lost me because like that, nobody would type in their social security number. I mean, maybe they are <laughs> rude. Mean, maybe they are supposed to be idiots because people people do that every day though. Like I they, know. <laughs> I people know. are scammed easily. And... But would you do that for like the, the equivalent of a Zoltar machine? No, you wouldn't do that for that. I mean, like, no, I don't think you would. I have no idea what my card would say, Stephen, and that is the point of life. There we go. <laughs> got away without having to answer. Good. Uh, you know, I think that I mean, the only time I'm giving my social security or giving my fingerprints is, you know, when I have to sign up for TSA PreCheck or whatever, and that's about it. Um, the thing about this show is that the cards sometimes are like, like we said, gum. Like, it, like what, what does that even mean? <laughs> so sometimes they're just like objects or they are things that people do, like adjectives, whistler. Like, like mm. how is that? <laughs> that's not. <laughs> so I feel like mine would probably be something cynical in a way. That would be my guess. Cynic, I would say. Yeah, Cynic. yeah. <laughs> okay. Skeptic, skeptic, maybe. Steven? I don't know if I have a good answer for what on earth my card would say, because I'm happy in my job and I'm happy in my relationship, and I don't know if I want that particularly upended or what I would expect that card to say, whether it's, you know, talker or, <laughs> or, or, or whatever. I just cannot imagine. Like, I'm like, you can have my fingerprints at the arraignment. Yeah, exactly. Like, yep. like when am I going <laughs> to willingly turn my social security number and fingerprints over to a machine? But I think the curiosity would have destroyed me. I think that would have been my arc is I would have been the guy who refuses to do it and then is then crushed under the self-doubt of the decision not to let the machine have my information. Yeah. When I realized that was how it tells you what you are, for a little while there I was like someone is scamming this whole this whole yeah, town. I, I was waiting for that twist. I was like, oh, this is going to turn into a whole thing about like security and privacy and, and it did not. It does not. But um, it's a clever narrative thing, but I also find it very hard to believe in a way. It is strongly suggested that it's not really doing anything with the fingerprints or the social security number, right. that there's some other factor involved. Uh, and yes. the fact that it's not lost on anybody, that Morpho is, you know, it's referring to butterflies and change. And that's what I like about this. It's just change. It's not like yeah. becoming better, getting more money. It's just change. Let's do the service journalism part of our job harder and just let people know that this does not resolve, that there are questions un unanswered. Yeah. But that is... That's just how it is in these streets, you know? That's streaming in 2023, <laughs> baby. That's the new normal. I mean, if it means that there's another season of this show, yep. I am here for it. I think we can agree this is a good one. People should definitely check it out. We want to know what you think about the Big Door Prize. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Aisha Harris, Glenn Weldon, thanks so much for being here. Thank, thank you. you, Stephen. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much much for showing your support of NPR and our show. If you haven't signed up yet, want to show your support and listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Mike Katzif and edited by Jessica Reedy. Brendan Crump is our podcast coordinator. Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the American Cancer Society. By the end of this message, two people will be told they have cancer. Yes, every 15 seconds, someone is diagnosed with cancer. But by the end of this message, you could do something about it with your donation. 
A gift of any amount to the American Cancer Society can help those facing cancer get free rides to care or a free place to stay closer to treatment. Donate today at cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at betterhelp.com NPR to get 10% off your first month. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. On, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.